The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews. Presented by IV Creative, it's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You can be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and today it's another segment of the Guest Lounge here in the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast, and we have some very special guests here today. Very excited to interview these gentlemen that we have coming on here today. They've done some great work in the podcast space, particularly when it comes to hip-hop music, and they just finished a gripping and also very well-produced and well-done documentary if you will audio documentary and series on the making of reasonable doubt called brooklyn's finest of course i'm talking about none other than the breaking adams podcast by sumit sharma and chris mitchell based over in the uk these gentlemen did a great job not just with the reasonable doubt series but also with all the other artists that they've interviewed so far this year rappers such as big poo che noir oc fourth disciple amongst many others so I got a chance to sit down with Sumit and Chris and ask them not only about the Breaking Adams podcast, but about what made them hip hop fans and how doing the Brooklyn's Finest Making of Reasonable Doubt series went for them. And joining us here in the guest lounge, as we mentioned here before, we have none other than the creators of the Breaking Adams podcast. They do awesome work. This gentleman joined, uh, joined us from out of the UK. Of course, we told you guys about the Reasonable Doubt series that they just did on their podcast, but I'm w- grateful to have both of them here. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Sumit Sharma and Chris Mitchell of the Breaking Adams podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on The Vault in the Guest Lounge. Thank you for having us, man. This is a pleasure, yeah. man. We're fans of the show, so thank you. Man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, For you guys joining us, we got a little bit of a time difference, so I appreciate you all making the time. In the afternoon over there in the UK, it's here in the morning here in D.C. on the East Coast. So, um, like I said, man, uh, I am an admirer of hip-hop culture and, of course, of podcasts, being a podcaster myself. I've only been doing it for about a year and a half now, coming up on two years. Uh, you know, when you recognize great work in the podcast and speak, you want to make sure that you recognize those folks and give them a shout out. Um, I came across you guys podcast as a result of hearing about um, the Reasonable Doubt series because I had so many different other people. I followed Dart Adams on Twitter. Um, a few other people were mentioning it and I was like, oh, this is going to be a documentary, like an audio documentary on Reasonable Doubt. I got to check it out. 
So I listened to it right before we did our review of Reasonable Doubt a few weeks ago. And I was blown away, of course, by everything that did. And I was not only that, but I dug also deeper into the quality of the product that you guys had and so many of the different interviews that you did. Um, I was blown away by the interviews that you guys did, man. So first of all, big up from one creator to the next um, for all the work that you guys have done and the work that you've done this hip hop podcast is paid. Bravo. Thank, Thank you. you. Man, that means a lot. That really yeah, truly I'm... means a lot. This is, this is a community of all of us. We, we're all striving to, to elevate the, the medium yes. and to elevate the voices in it. So that means a lot coming from me. Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, so we're going to get right into it. And so we're going to jump in and not necessarily talk about podcasting. This is hip hop and we're all hip hop fans here. So every time I talk to creators and they're also in the music space and we're fans of hip hop, I also want to know what their journey was like as hip hop fans. So each of you just give me, you know, tell me a little bit about what your journey as a hip hop fan has been like. What were the first songs or albums or things that got you hooked into hip hop as a music and also as a culture? So either one of you can start. Chris, go, go ahead. I mean, like, I was I was about nine years old. Um, I was quite socially awkward even back then, so I wasn't necessarily the cool guy. Um, didn't really get much love from from the girls. So mm. what I wanted to do was impress the older guys. Um, so I really got into hip hop through the older guys. So we used to have school discos, and the first songs that I heard was MC Hammer, "You Can't Touch This." That's what got me hooked. Okay. And then I saw Crisscross, and the reason why Crisscross impacted me so much is because we were similar in age. So seeing them saying, oh, you know, you can be a part of this and you're not too young to be a part of this. So I would say that MC Hammer and Crisscross was almost like my, my lustful one night stand phase <laughs> of hip hop. Okay. Um, the lifelong love affair really began when I got a tape of Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Wow. So Chris Scott, Danny, Danny Hall, I have to big them up all the time. They gave me a copy of the tape. It had incorrect songs because they would name the songs based on, like, the samples. So Tears was, um, they called after, um, after the Tears, it was called Tears or After or something like that. <laughs> and I went home and I learned the skits, and I was just, this, this is me. Like, this, yeah. is, this is who I am. And um, my, uh, one of my OGs, Sean Etienne, you know, we used to go over to his house, watch the box. He used to have the handwritten track list and tape videos oh, from the box. So, you know, I remember seeing Exhibit Paparazzi, Nine, Lion King, Skilo, all these videos. Mm-hmm. And I remember he gave me, like, it was almost like a curriculum. He gave me Mob Deep, the infamous, 93 Till Infinity, Souls of Mischief, and a few others told me, go home, listen to those. And, you know, here I am. I became an MC a few years later, and I've just literally lost myself and found myself at the same time through hip hop culture. Man, it sounds like your story is almost exactly like mine's, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, those those titles that you're reciting right there are the same ones that I sort of came up with. I like to tell people that at a certain point I was introduced to hip hop. I became intrigued by hip hop. I um, fell in love with hip hop and then I couldn't live without hip hop. Those are my phases as it came in. So as you're talking about that Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, that's when I fell in love with it. I become infatuated with it and intrigued by it by the time I got to 90, 91. But by the time 95, 96 came around, I couldn't live the rest of my life without it, man. So that is an awesome, awesome story. Um, appreciate it. I could definitely relate to that. And submit about you, man, your journey about hip hop. What were the songs or albums that got you hooked? Yeah, earliest memories. Um, I'm lucky because I have older brothers. So they would consume and buy and dub tapes on TDK and Memrex cassettes and would have it around the house. 
um dog pound was probably the earliest ones where i sneaked the cassette into the stereo system and um dog food rather from dog mm. pound um and just blast that through and that was kind of my that was me being naughty because you know no one was home I was like, oh, let me just dig into my brother's collection and i see mm-hmm. this dog he named it dog pound i still got the cassette behind me it's all handwritten and all that yeah. um nicely written because that's what you did back in the day right it was penmanship and and yet you, t- you took care of those tdk cassettes um, I also remember being, you know, obviously younger, but they would always hear about NWA, fuck the police, but I understood, understood what it was, right? It was just a, a catchy line for me. But really, it came, my love affair and understanding of hip-hop started with Nas, The World Is Yours, because Southeast Asian descent, I said the Don P watching Gandhi till I'm charged. I'm like, what? he's he's referencing someone from my head. This is, this is my, co- what the hell's going on here? And then it started from there, right? So 96, the score, All Eyes On Me, Biggie, mm-hmm. you know, the very commercial traditional route. And then I started digging deeper, right? Cellar Dwellers or, you know, Exhibit, and then going into that kind of realm and then going to HMV and the import, in the import section to buy the Tony Braxton, You're Making Me High or whatever, mm-hmm. and then just live my life through that. And then I became the Jay-Z Hovstan that I just naturally became. And and that's it. And I've been thankful to be part of this culture to, to study. And I've done a lot of going back and listening. So if it's Cold Crush Brothers, if it's Cool Modi, yet to go back, because I obviously wasn't around for that. And, you know, even with Kane, one of my favorite MCs of all time is Big Daddy Kane, but I wasn't around to understand and fully understand um, his impact and what he, and, and, and the, you know, I guess the, the place he has in hip hop mm. and part of me as a fan is to always make sure that he is always talked about as the greatest of all time. Cause he is for me and, you know, going into hip hop, into blogging and into, into podcasting now, and just really my passion has always been music or is sport. So yeah. that's where I kind of gone into. Interesting, man. Those are those stories. It's all, you know, whenever you talk to hip hop fans, especially the ones who are really immersed into the culture, it's always interesting the path that they take. And then also the, uh, the rappers and the artists or the producers that they follow that takes them along that journey. And as the hip hop changes, it's always interesting to see how that story never really changes, but only evolves based on who's coming into the game or who disappears and then who's no longer active and everything else. But those ones right at the beginning are really what stick with you. Um, In particular, when you talked about Kane, um, I felt that way about Kane. Uh, I still feel that way about Rakim. Um, As a matter of fact, when I ever talk about anyone that you want to consider like a true MC, MCs, my Mount Rushmore are Rakim, Kane, Cool G Rap, and KRS-One. I tell a lot of people that when you look at MCs, anyone starting from 1980, I would say 1990 and on, you can pretty much take, I would say, about 70% of the MCs out there and trace them back to any one of their styles in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So interesting, fellas. Thanks for that. Um, That is um really, really great to hear, and I love being able to talk to hip-hop heads and hearing that story from them. So you're a hip hop fan. Chris, you even said that you became an MC. You took your hand in MCing. I did the same exact thing myself. I also produced and I started making beats when I was in high school and then still produced music here and there um, along with podcasting. But at some point in time, you go from just being a fan to make really immersing yourself into a culture and becoming a storyteller, becoming a curator becoming, uh, in some sense, a lot of people would even say podcasting is like a form of journalism, depending on the type of podcast that you're doing. So when did the transition happen for you? And uh, do you transition to being not just a fan, but then going into digging into platforms and really becoming a critic? And then also really a storyteller of some of the things that have happened within hip hop? When, when did that transition happen for each of you? Well, I have a, I have a journalism degree. 
Um, so my degree is in new media and journalism. And ironically, I never became a full-time journalist. I worked at a national newspaper for a bit. I was in the sales department and I tried to, I tried to finagle my way from the sales department into the writing side. Um, and I was effectively told, nah, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> journalism is, is quite, it can be, particularly, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's a very elitist space. Mm. Things have definitely improved, but it was quite elitist. And, you know, in, in all honesty, I just gave up. So I let that dream go. Um, I did some writing for, for some, for some uh, smaller websites in that time. So I would, I would review, like, live shows. So I wrote about Lord Finesse, Farrell Monch, um, Summit will tell you more about his his adventures in journalism, but you know, Summit even called on me one day to interview Odyssey mm. for his platform. So what I was doing in, in, instead of writing and being a journalist per se, I really immersed myself. I spent 15 years in my room just reading liner notes, mm. connecting dots, and just really getting into the stories behind the music. Why did this person go to this studio? Who's who's Anton Pashansky? What does he do? So I start to get into this universe. You know, you're from Baltimore, so. Think of it like The Wire, all the different characters that are introduced from season to season and how they all intersect and intertwine. That's what my journey was like. Mm. And, um, you know, my podcasting thing, I'll be honest with you, man, I was in a very dark place a couple of years ago. I was uh, made redundant from my, from my work, um, going through some serious depression. Wow. Um, you know, let's, let's call a spade a spade, you know, suicidal thoughts as well. Mm. And I remember sitting with my wife and she said to me, you know, we were watching the wrestling, I'm a big wrestling fan, and mm. I started to call the spots and she's like, how do you know this stuff? And I just said, because I'm a storyteller. I know what's going on. I know how it's going to end. Yeah, cool. So she's like, you need to start a podcast. So long story short, she bought me a ticket to a podcast festival. I went there. I just embedded myself in it, asked questions. I know I knew Summit wanted to start a podcast. We got talking. And, um, you know, Breaking Atom started. But to be honest with you, Brian, it's only since we've done the, the, the series, which we'll talk about shortly, the Reasonable Doubt series, that I really thought, oh, snap. Chris, you're actually a journalist now. Oh, absolutely. 15 years after getting that degree. Absolutely. And almost having to wait for someone to validate you and give you a job and say you're good enough. You were always good enough. Like, absolutely. the nature of this project mm -hmm. that we've just done, it's journalism. Like, it we've extracted jewels and nuggets and gems from history and told them in a way that everyone can understand. So I've only been calling myself a journalist for the last maybe six weeks. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that, that's just how I got there. A naturally inquisitive nature uh, and a passion for history and accuracy and, and sharing the culture and making sure the right people get their props and knowing that we're creating content for those people who are going to come after us. We're not going to be here forever, but this audio will be. Yes. So that, you know, I feel we have a mandate, a divine responsibility to make sure the stories are told in the right way. Mm. Wow. It's crazy, man, because your first part when I asked you about your hip hop journey as a fan, it was almost like mine's. Your story since then has been like mine's, too. I graduated wow. with a journalism degree from Morgan State, which is my alma mater. I went through the same thing that you went through. Um, <laughs> no job in the newspaper industry, the print industry and across the world, but especially in the U.S. was starting to die. So I, I gave up on that. And here I am finding myself all these years later, finding another way to be able to tell stories. Um so, and I talked to my journalism professor from undergrad and he told me, I was like, you know, well, I know, you know, I, I turned out to be this big disappointment. You trained me to be a good journalist and do all the good things that a journalist could do. He was like, well, you're doing the same thing now. He said, you're doing the same thing. What we did, you're telling stories. He said a lot of this stuff, whether it's reporting, whether it's being um, given commentary on particular topics, you're doing the same exact thing. He's like, this is just another medium. 
It's not in the written word, but the words and the the uh, the stories are what matter. That's what matters. And in journalism, the stories are the only thing that's matter. That's it. So, wow, awesome. And submit. Thank you. Your same question for you. Yeah. So it kind of really began. I, I did an English degree. Around 15 years old, I was thinking about career and what I wanted to be in. Journalist was the thing, right? The Guardian, you know, is a, is a big paper over here. I thought we had aspirations of doing that. Um, then went to kind of working and, and I always had this, I've always wanted to tell stories and, and wanted to be a journalist. But around 2007, I did a broadcast journalism postgrad uh, um, at City University. And it taught me a lot about audio production and TV and how things work, et cetera. And also around that time, rap was getting a, rap was getting a bad rap in the mainstream media. Mm. And I felt like the story uh, and the culture of hip hop was being kind of dragged through the mud and I didn't like it. Mm. And I felt like I wanted to create a platform and a space where we could tell the real story, not the thing you hear on the news where they go, oh, these rappers are killing each other or they're promoting violence. Well, actually hip hop is peace, love and having fun. If we're going to take the Ted, the care rest line. So mm. I started a blog uh, called uh, at the time called Colonized Minds which is a play on Franz Fanon's uh, but black, uh, black Skin, White Masks. Mm -hmm. um, and it evolved into Hip Hop Chronicle. And from there, it was a blog that turned into, I gave myself a salary at some point. I was taking myself and earning money and taking myself to America and interviewing, you know, Nas, AZ, um, Method Man, Rick Ross, Shine, featured on Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, MSN, mm -hmm. um, Hot 97. You know, I used, to, I used to do PR for a lot of artists. And what, what I did with Hip Hop Chronicle was really show myself and people who couldn't give me a job. You know, people at the BBC who didn't want to employ me, people mm. at the Garden who didn't want to employ me. I was like, well, I'll show you what I'll do. Mm. And I just started building and learning on the job, learning about digital marketing, learning about social media platforms, learning about website coding. So this little WordPress blog that could took me to places where when I'm interviewing Russell Simmons, the people after me are BBC. These are the same people who wouldn't give me a job. Mm. And so I just started creating and, and going through a lane where I was like, oh, I, I have a purpose now. I have a purpose to, to showcase hip hop in the greatest light I can and to learn more and to study more and to, and to interview my heroes, which I did. My breakout was Ice Cube. My, I guess my first video interview was Ice Cube, which he mentioned 50 Cent, who then saw it and talked publicly about it. And all of a sudden there's this kid from the UK, from West London, mm. South or born and raised. And he's like, all over the internet and being viral. And I realized at that point where the power of what I could do digital marketing, but also the power of hip hop. Yeah. And I learned so much and I went through and that lasted a good intense four years. And then after that, I just started going, well, hold on my, the, I guess the, the purpose I have, not everyone necessarily shares. And so I started to see the smoking mirrors and I started seeing how, how polluted and how diluted the, the, I guess the industry quote unquote can be. Yeah. So I took a step away. Wow. Um, but I always had aspirations of just going, I'm going to come back one day and the birth of my daughter and, and just life in general and just learning. It just mm. made me think, right, we need to do this podcasting because this is the new blogging. Yeah. In some ways, this is how things have evolved and transitioned. Absolutely. I'm a product of the blog era. I love that. I learned so much from that, but now it's about how do we, how do we elevate? How do we transition? And that's where, you know, we get into to breaking atoms and, you know, taking the, taking the, purposeful tact to kind of interview and go to our roots, which is hip hop and then into the series. But it really started from a blog. This is all of me being, and I guess in on entrepreneurial spirit is where I learned how to, to do all these things and, and right. to foster those relationships. All me, I didn't have any ins. I didn't, I didn't have a DJ I knew at a radio station. I didn't have a cousin here. 
this was just a boy from London. I interviewed Nas in my bedroom. Like this is crazy, right? Yeah. Like I'm talking to people in my like this is nuts. And I had to get a I had to get a um an ISDN line so that I could get the better quality and I had to look my dictaphone and you know, I did an interview with Kid Cuddy. Uh, wireless my 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 monitor like cracked so i had to get this old one which is like <laughs> old ibm from the 80s connect that it took like 12 hours to export wow. because it was running slow but that was the grind that's what you yeah. had to do and you know i was fortunate to at the time of doing hip-hop chronic i was fortunate to understand like music and and hip-hop will give you the greatest it will give you the best and greatest insight into who people are because mm. when you're running around in the industry You'll meet groupies, managers, producers, yeah. stage managers, engineers, uh, artists, managers of artists, partners, all of that in one short space of an event. And you've got to deal with all these different people. Yeah. Mm. And that accelerates how you deal with people and your people skills. Absolutely. Something, something that, you know, going to university can help with, but it won't give you that. It won't accelerate that. And I learned so much that I can now take that and go, right, I, breaking arms let's let's take this chris let's go and let's take this and elevate the culture both me and chris share that we share that kinship in how do we take something that is so important to people of color from across the world mm -hmm. how can we shine the best light without being contrived without without being um inauthentic we are authentic as we are who we are what you see and what you hear is who we are how do we take that and, and give hip-hop the best light it can be mm. wow yeah, man, it's uh, people don't necessarily uh, they see the diamond. They don't necessarily see the rock that you had to blast to get it, you know, and and that's the grind, as you talked about, Samit, um, and you as well, Chris. Uh, I was speaking to a fellow podcaster of mine, Nathan Rodell, by the way, shout out to the professor um, who is the creator of Players from the South, which is a fictional hip hop podcast for you two. I definitely and anyone out there, any of my listeners and viewers, if you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Players from the South. It's a fictional hip-hop podcast based on a Southern hip-hop mogul and his journey basically to be honored after all his years of service. Um, Nathan said that he spent so many different years trying to find a job in media. And then when he found out and said after a while of doing this podcast, he had a similar one that he had started before then, that he said it took me some time to understand that, you know, what I am doing is media. This is media. I am media already. So in the terms of both of you all, what you said, if there isn't a way, then make a way. And right. for the journey that all three of us have been on and any of the people that have been in this space that have gone through the same thing, this is really a way of making a way. So um, kudos to both of you on that, because I know what it means. It takes a lot of perseverance and uh, and, and uh, strength to be able to get through something like this, especially when the things that you may try may not work at first. So it can be discouraging at times. So you mentioned submit uh, uh, breaking atoms. So we'll get into that, man. How did the idea of that podcast come about, and how long of a process was it? Was it to come from that first concept, those discussions, until you got into launch and got the thing rolling and off the ground? So I think me, me and Chris would would meet up often to have some pasta at a restaurant in London called Vapiano's, mm. um, and we would just talk rap. And we would just talk life and it would just be a wide span, you know, a, a wide ranging span of, of conversations and topics. And hip hop was one of those. Um, and I think it was at that point where I think Chris wanted to do a podcast. I had wanted to do podcasting for a number of years prior, but I was holding myself back because I was like, oh, well, everyone thinks it was hip hop chronicle and I don't want it to be like that. And I, I was going through mentally. I wasn't ready. 
I wasn't ready to, because when I go, when it's go time, it's go time for me. And I just felt like for me personally, well, I wasn't ready, but we came to, I think it was at Vapiana's upstairs, there's an upstairs area there. And we just went, let's just do a podcast. And we started bouncing around names and we had different, you know, different names. Um, and some of them will come to light at some point and some of them will use at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> and then it, we, we, st- in terms of the name and where it came about, it was very much about what, what, what do we want to stand for? And that's how Breaking Arms came about because yeah. it's about under- getting under the hood of certain things. Um, and then from that point onwards, once we had the name, it was like, it was go time. Like we were just like, right, let's go to the studio. We shared one mic uh, uh, at a studio to begin with. Uh, <laughs> nice. Chris will always he'll tell you, I, I had the sofa. He had the, he had the, with well, the WWE chair. Yeah. Um, hard chair. The hard chair. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And, 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 okay. and we just rocked from there and, and we would just do, we would talk about, you know, our first episode is the wire versus the Sopranos. Mm. And we just, and we, you know, there's other episodes about how to deal with office life and how to deal with mental health and the impact of social media, because while we sat in that restaurant talking about rap music to us, that feels, and not to be very egotistical about this, but it's kind of easy to do that. We can sit and talk with fellow rap heads, not saying that we know everything because absolutely no, that's not, that's not the case, but mm-hmm. we can sit there and conversate with regular like-minded people. That's easy. Um, so we started to take that tack of going, let's talk about things that impact our lives and, and would impact other people's lives and be relatable. Mm-hmm. And then slowly and slowly we moved on and on. And we were like, let's just go to what we know which is hip hop. Right. So the, the, to answer your question and Chris, feel free to tag anything on. It didn't take that long. Once we went, let's do this. It might've been a few weeks, maybe, maybe a month or so before we got into the studio. And then we were recording every week. Mm. Um, and we would do, you know, we would schedule in advance. Let's knock out three episodes right now. Mm. Boom. Let's do that. Yeah. And so that'll give us time to go, right. We'll be in the studio, you know, in, in the next three weeks. And, and we just move from there. Very yeah. Cool. I mean, everything's depth. That's it. That's exactly how it happened. We recorded, I think, six episodes in one day. Wow, that's Ooh. how that's how we that's how we were moving. I yeah. remember when I went to that podcast festival. It was the end of November two thousand seventeen, and break first episode of Breaking Atoms dropped like end of Jan. But it was oh, recorded like two weeks yeah. before, so it was it was really it was really quick. I still yeah. had the notes from that festival actually, wow. and I actually wrote on the notes, speak to Summit about music theme songs and topics and stuff. So. Yeah, the ball was already in motion. I think yeah. the pod that we were a podcast before we decided to become a podcast. Some of the mm. best conversations we've ever had were never recorded. Yes. <laughs> over, over pasta. So isn't that the way yeah. it always works out though? You know? Absolutely. It's like you're absolutely. having yeah, <laughs> you're having a conversation it helps us with find you. our voice though. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah, those conversations definitely help you find your voice. But it's funny you have those conversations with your boys and you're like, we should be recording this. Like, <laughs> was somebody recording this? Did somebody get to no? know? Okay. All right. Well, you know, we'll see if we can replicate it again, but it's never as raw as when you're in the moment though. And, and you, uh, yeah. you find a way to make it. And it's amazing what you can do when you're motivated. You said you guys did six episodes in one day. Uh, the most we ever did with my podcast was three at the most. And that's when we were doing it at my kitchen table in my old house. Um, we would get together, have a couple of beers, and we would talk reviews. We would line up the reviews. Okay, guys, we're doing this three albums in this day. And the motivation was getting them planned out so that we didn't have to meet up every single week to record, you know. Um, and this was actually pre-COVID when we started this. So, no, I, I definitely get that. But getting the grind of getting it off the ground and moving. Um, have you guys been surprised in some of the feedback that you've gotten since the podcast has started? Um what what has the feedback been like, and have you been surprised by some of it, especially the positive feedback that you've gotten? 
Yeah, I, I think all all feedback is good because you get to hear people's perspectives and and what what either irks them or what really they love about it. Um, generally speaking, the feedback for Breaking Atoms as a podcast is is always been positive, um, and I think it's I think that's probably because there might be some haters out there. That's fine. Shout out to you, but I think it's really because we are trying to be who we are. We're not, we are not being anyone else. And, and the conversations we have, we don't, we don't come in with this whole idea that we know everything. We come in with an open mind going, this is how we feel about this. This is what we think about this. We're open to discussion and that's it. Um, and also, I think it also helps that both of us come from a journalistic background. So when we're interviewing people, whether it's a writer, whether it's an A&R, whether it's a manager, whether it's a producer, whoever, whoever it is, um, we, we, it's, it's all, it's all about the focus that we have, which is documenting the culture. It's not about us. It's about the subject. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonates with the listener because now the listeners know that when they listen to breaking atoms, it's not about my personality or Chris's personality. Cause that will shine regardless. It will shine through regardless because that's who we are. Mm-hmm. Really it's about the subject and uncovering their story. Because that's the that's the key. That's what we're all interested in. Yeah. We're all in that's why there's so many serial killer documentaries on Netflix. Mm-hmm. We are intrigued by the mind. <laughs> we're intrigued yes. by what happens. It's 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 a it's an innate thing that we all have. This curiosity. Some people are more curious than others, but we're really trying to figure out what makes us tick. And that taking that approach into podcasting and, and to the most authentic medium that we have, which is audio. I think that resonates with the listeners, and that's mm. why it's that's why the feedback is so good. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always still I'm still surprised sometimes by the feedback and just how breaking atoms adds values to people's lives. Mm. You know, like Summit said, it's not it's not about us. We're just telling the story, but you know, to have people who listen every week, and this is part of their their media diet. This is how they help they get through their week by listening to our show, like. Um, I'm always surprised by that. I remember when it launched um, and a, a young girl who I worked with and I hired her, it was, it was a trip. She actually came into the interview and said, you look familiar and started reciting one of my songs. It was nuts. Um, she messaged me when she saw the podcast and she was, she messaged me and she's like, I'm so glad you're doing this mm. because this is who you are and this is who I know you to be. Mm. And that meant a lot to me because, you know, I feel after the after the struggles that I went through, just with confidence and self esteem prior to starting a podcast, to to have people reach out and say, you know, I love this show, wow. I listen to this show every week. You know, Summit's presence with Hip Hop Chronicle introduced me to an audience, and vice versa and stuff. And it's like, just have people say, yeah, this 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 works. Yeah. You know, it's you know, I'm a wrestling fan. This is Hawk and Animal. This is Brett and Jim. This is this is that. the Bushwhackers. Yeah, the Luke and Butch. Do you know what I mean? This is this is that we are. Paul and Ash. Come <laughs> yeah. on, man. We're talking now, innit? Don't get me started. We're talking now. So um, yes, always sir. always surprised and humbled by by the feedback and just how people really love this, really love this show and what it stands for. Wow. Yeah, man. I, I definitely agree with that. And um, it's it's funny when you're creators and I can relate to that when eventually you know that you've made your way into people's regular routine, whether it's daily or monthly or weekly, that they make a habit of being able to listen to you. And it's humbling from a certain perspective to be like, you know, somebody takes time out of their routine to tune into my medium every single time I release something new. And um, I've dealt with that with some of the feedback I've gotten on social media 
Like I missed a couple of weeks one time and a guy was like, yo man, what's going on? Is everything okay? You know, when, when you get to that point in people's lives that they count on what it is that you're, you're doing, you didn't use, like you said, it's not about you. It becomes about the art. It becomes about the people that depend on that art and the people that look for it for a certain sense of whether it brightens their day or, you know, takes their mind off of something or entertains them even to a certain extent. So, uh, I can definitely relate to that. So now we're going to get to the big thing. What, what really drew me to you guys in the first place. And that is the Brooklyn's finest series, the making of reasonable doubt, uh, really, um, a crown jewel, um, definitely something that any creator would be very, very proud of and something that you all should be very proud of, which I'm sure you are. And the feedback on it has been absolutely amazing. Take us a little bit into the process of making that a reality. Um, it, it, there were a lot of moving parts when it came to that. I mean, you guys interviewed so many different great people. Clark Kent, Ski, Maria Greens from Mad Wednesday. Um, pain in the ass who I didn't even know who his name was because I had heard him on all these different Jay-Z albums. Everything from Reasonable Doubt to Volume 1, 2, and 3. And I didn't even know who the guy was. But now I know who I am. And you all actually did a separate interview with him as well as a follow-up to what happened in Reasonable Doubt. So, um, But all these different people who were involved, the writers from the source, um, just give us an idea what it can to make that a reality. And, and dealing with all the moving parts to be able to make something like that come together. It couldn't have been easy, man. But just give us some insight in as far as how do you all made it happen. Yeah. Go ahead, submit. I mean, yeah, submit. You take this one. So uh, the idea to do documentaries is one we've had for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've already said in this in this interview, uh, you know, we're always looking at how we can elevate. And mm-hmm. so that was a natural progression. In terms of the series itself, it really started with, there, there were other, there were other documentaries where we, we were going to do first outside mm-hmm. of Reasonable Doubt. Um, but then we looked at, Chris was like, hey, you know, 96 is a good year. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And he's like, oh, it's 25 years of these albums, right? Because you had the score, you had you know, All Eyes on Me, and making people making such a big noise about that. And then we went through and scrolling through what came out in 96. It was like, reasonable doubt. Oh, my God, how did we? Mm-hmm. I mean, me, for me as a host, and that, um, I should be ashamed of myself. Um, because how did I not know that that was the 25th year anniversary? And it, and it started from there, really. And it was a lot to do. And from, from almost start to finish, it was about two months. So from recording the first kind of interview mm. right through to this is done now was two months, which is in, in from what we understand is kind of not, un, it's virtually unheard of to do that at that level, five episodes, because yeah. something like that can take months and months and sometimes a year. Yeah. So really it was very much around what's the story we want to tell mm. and who do we want to identify? And through that, we we were conduits through the, the contributors because what we were hearing from them we're like, oh, we need to speak to this person. Or actually, no, we need to take, mm. change our tech completely. And fourth episode wasn't going to be about family and community. It was very much going to be about lyrics. But when we started speaking to Pain in the Ass and Maria and Ski, this thing just kept coming out, which was family, family, family. And so w- while we were doing the actual series, we went, we have to change tech. This, this episode can't be about his lyrics anymore. Mm. It has to be something different. Um, and so there's two of us. And so we really sat down and gone, how do we, how we map this out? And we just on, on throughout the process evolving going, this is how we're going to just chop and change this. We'll, we'll put this bit here. Actually, this will be the end. And, and actually the way in which I've always worked, even hip hop chronicle, one of the things that helped me stand out from a lot of the people in, in, in the space was I would go to Drake's first concert and it would end and I'd be editing on the way home. And within an hour that, 
10 minute piece of audio, a uh, video rather of that concert would be on the internet. It'd mm. be that quick. Wow. So I'm always editing in my head. I would know, okay, you cut here. And Chris is probably the same as an MC, as a musician. This mm. music needs to go here, yes. right? This is what we're going to, as a writer. And so while we're doing the interviews, we're making mental notes and uh, mental markers. You ever use any logic, uh, Adobe edition, anything, you got markers. We're already making mental markers of what we need and what we don't need. Yeah. And so that process of editing is already, is already streamlined in that. So it, to, for anything, while it was a lot to do with a lot of moving parts, this was fun as hell to do. Mm, it was a lot. It, it was intense. Sounds but like it. By golly, and I'm going to say golly because I'm English. It was <laughs> hilarious and it was amazing. And it was one of the kind of most rewarding things that I think mm. we will do for a very long time because it really set the standard of what we should do going forward. But also we learned so much. Yeah. We learned so much from everyone we spoke to, from people with who were part of the album and outside of the album, the journalists, the respected voices in the culture. Um, it's a lot. It's not, I can't give all the source away because then everyone will just do the exact what we do, right? Right, so, of course. Um, it's, I'm going to be like primo and bring it on. I'm not going to tell you everything. Of course. Um, but but very, it, was, it, was, it was very much, you know, we also, there's also the other thing of, we've sat with this album. We know this album. Yeah. Right. So we know how that story goes. And then everything else is just filling it in. Yeah. Of course, yeah. anything I, to add. I mean, I mean, look, Summit Summit's nailed it, man. Um, it's yeah, what we I feel what we've done is 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 it's definitely unheard of because when we tell people it took us two months, they're looking at us like we're aliens, like, really? <laughs> um, it's it's I think it's a case study in like perseverance and trust and teamwork. Um, it, what, what I, as I look back, you know, how the roles kind of naturally fell in place, like Summit did an amazing job with the sequencing yeah. and the storytelling. Um, and I think that, I think to give him more credit, it comes from, I was taken aback because he put it together like it was an album. Mm, yes. And as someone who grew up listening to albums, yes. I'm like, yo, like he put it together like an album and I know he's big on sequencing. So it was fun to see how all those years of learning came about in this piece, yeah. you know, even with the script writing, um, you know, we wrote the script together and I, honestly, I found the script easy to write. Mm -hmm. Not only because I know this, but you find that I found out all the transferable skills we have. So from writing songs, journalism background, writing journals and all that, writing the script was, you know, dare I say it was light work because we knew because we knew the story and um one thing we wanted to really focus on is how do we make this story appeal to people who don't know or care about this album or jay-z mm, yeah you may hate rap music but yeah. are you going to listen to this and i feel we've done a good job with that because the story itself is so it's a it's the classic come up of an underdog yes. everybody loves a story like that yeah everyone and you know we i'm very proud because we've told the story he's more than beyonce's husband and Beyonce is amazing, but this is one of the greatest come up stories in human existence. Mm, Not just mm, rap. Yeah. Human history. Yeah. You'll never see another Jay-Z. And um, the last thing I want to add is when I moved into my new place where I'm sitting right now, about five years ago, we went for dinner with our neighbors. And, you know, we got into what I was into and I was, you know, talking about rap music and I'm into Jay-Z and stuff. And she was like, oh, but he's a drug dealer. Mm. And she just dismissed him. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, when we were making this, I'm like, I made it with the venom respectful venom for this person that if she was to ever hear it yeah she would respect the story a bit more because i wanted to prove people like her wrong and yeah. show the nuances in the story and Absolutely. how what it takes to make an album of this kind of quality that, that we look at 25 years later and say it's the soundtrack to our lives literally yeah 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's all the tools in the toolbox that you guys had, you took out and used it on this series. And yeah. it's it's documentary in nature, right? But it's almost even like a feature film, like a motion wow. picture to me. Because you have everything. You start from the beginning. You start from Jay at the very beginning when he's starting his career with Jazzo. And and as being sort of like that, as you could if you could say sidekick, I guess you could be companion to Jazzo, who is a, who has established himself more and his kid who's looking really trying to make his bones to being able to try to get a record deal, to finding himself with Jet with Dame and Biggs and starting his own record label to having these songs ready, to getting these producers to come by to work on this album, them working on the album, but not really knowing that they're working on the album, and then putting this masterpiece together that comes out and is fairly well acclaimed when it comes out. But in the 25 years that it's passed in my podcast, and as you all said as well, the mythology of it has grown almost a thousand times since then to where if it was a four mic album in the source, comparatively speaking, that this point is now being considered among one of the best of all time. And it's undeniable in its quality, how well, how good it is. Um, how it's, it really is like a motion picture, the way that you all laid it out. I mean, it's documentary in style, but it really does follow all the tools that you would have if you were building a motion picture and the storyline of a, of a major player and a major character and following that through the end to where you have to pay off at the end. And that's what the end is. It's what reasonable doubt has become in those 25 years. That was the masterpiece of this of this podcast series that you all put together is the payoff at the end. You really bring everything full circle, everything from all the stories that started from episode one to episode five. So um, awesome, awesome job. You know, that, that was that was intentional. Yeah. Right? So so Chris kind of talked about a bit of the source there in terms of sequencing. Sequencing is important in storyboarding, important, but also pacing is, is as important. Very. When you're talking about things like this, you have to get mm-hmm. the right pace. I think one of the one someone a journalist I know, Mickey, he he messaged me and he was like, "You've paced this like as if Hove was rapid." Mm. It's all intentional. This is all it has to be intentional because you have to think about the subject. This isn't about me and Chris. 
Mm-hmm. This is about the subject the now. Subject, this, yes. is about, this is about the people that we're speaking to. Mm-hmm. If you notice, there's nothing, apart from our voices and in, 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 the, in the script and the voiceover, that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't get nothing else from us because it's not about us. It's about what this album represents, the people who are a part of it. And I think in some ways, while that is part of the source, it, it was easy enough to do with reasonable doubt because the story is there. It is like a motion picture. You start here, you have your trials and tribulations here, and then you have this resolution here. Yeah. It's no different to a Shakespeare, a Shakespearean play, right? You have that. It's 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 inherent, um, and so we were lucky in that. We were very lucky in that. But it's all purpose. There is an intention to everything we do, um, and it's and it's good to hear that people like yourselves and respected people like yourselves see that too, because that was very intentional. Yeah, it really was, man. Um, you you all had a lot of stories. Um, a lot of things that you pulled from interviews from the different players that were a part of the making of this album. Um, give me each of you a couple of the mo- more interesting things that you learned that you didn't know probably going into the series. And, um, you know, we're not going to give the whole thing away cause we want everybody to go and listen to it, but just give me just maybe, a, you know, one or two things that were interesting that you found out, you know, that you didn't know going into it. I think for me, it was the, uh, the bonus tracks and the tracks that were left on the cutting room floor. Mm. Um, you know, Clark, Clark Ken mentioned, you know, tell me how it feels featuring Black Widow. I'm like, who? What? <laughs> like, just when you consider the age we live in with the internet and these songs still haven't leaked, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think it's a testament to just how precious and protected the legacy of Reasonable Doubt is. Um, so those bonus tracks, I would love to hear them one day. I know there was a snippet of 95 South. Um there being a solo version of Brooklyn's Finest, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Mm. But the that tape's gone missing. Um, you know, you hear oftentimes, I remember Just Blaze saying how, you know, studios would throw out reels. So think about all the classic material that's just been, you know, thrown out. I can imagine someone at Giant Studios, No More Mr. Nice Guy, JD, nah, we're closing the studio, gone. Wow. So um, yeah. it's kind of just those, those bonus tracks. I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued in them because I didn't know they I didn't know they existed. I thought this thing was, you know, 14, 15 songs, lean, recorded, everything's good, out the door. But I would I would love to hear them. That was a really interesting story to me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh that whole thing is it sort of reminds me of that universal fire that happened where you know, Reza in particular was talking about a lot of the master stuff that he lost in the result, result of that, you know, in particular, like things that happened with Supreme clientele and a couple other for classic albums. It's just like, wow, those are things that you can't ever recover ever, ever again. Once those things are gone, who knows what happens to them unless they were destroyed. You know, where are they? You know, like lost treasures that we're looking for lost treasures. And it, it's very interesting, man. Submit uh, something interesting that you found out. <laughs> Yeah, there were there were a few. I think definitely the the tracks that didn't make the album. Like, tell me how it feels. I did. I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about the original song titles for Brooklyn's Finest. But there were questions in there that I've always wanted to know. That um, that Jazzo, you know, kind of helped fill the gaps. Which was on on Jazz's album when they recorded it uh, uh, in London. Jay Z appears as courtesy of Josh Productions. I never knew who Josh Productions was. Mm-hmm. And it was a production deal that Jazz had, and he, and he talked about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. there was conflict interest, but everything was fine. The other one I never knew and I always wanted to know was um, Lil Lulu Music, which was Jay-Z's first publishing uh, company name. Mm-hmm. I never knew who Lil Lulu was. Mm-hmm. And Jazz was like, you, you know, you got paid for this information. He was saying to her, you got paid for this information, right? Mm-hmm. And he said That's, that, that was Jay-Z's mum's nickname. Mm-hmm. And okay. he named his wow. first publishing uh, uh, company 
you know, that's why they, they around the block they used to call it Little Lulu. Wow. And see, those are, those are things that that's why this was such a mm-hmm. you know rewarding project because we you know we got to ask things that we wanted burning questions we wanted to know. Sure. And we got that off, and we got to really understand and fill those gaps in. So those, I guess, those were the ones that would stick out to me, and also just the that can't was it can't no it was I think it was Bring It On. One of the songs that was supposed to be a hard pack record, my memory fails me. Cashmere thoughts. Cashmere thoughts. thoughts. Now I didn't, I didn't know that that record was supposed to be a hard pack record, which was a group with jazz, uh, Source, Source and money. Jay. Yeah, and I didn't know that, right? So when we when we talked to Clark Kent about hard pack, he was like, "Yo, jazz told you about hard pack?" Like that was a crazy thing about when we spoke to people. When we spoke to people for this project, mm-hmm. they were cra- They were like, "You spoke to Joe Quindy? Like <laughs> you you spoke you spoke to jazz about hard pack?" Like even <laughs> they were surprised. Wow. And actually, they were speaking to each other at the same time. Like right. Maria were like, "Yo, I spoke to Ski to make sure you were verified." Like this was a real thing, and I think for for the guys, for us, we learned a lot about the project and the inner workings of what happened. But for those guys over there who were part of the project too, they were just like figuring stuff out. They didn't know that we were pulling out. Like no one spoke to Joe Quindy for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's on the cutting room floor that we just had to cut out. We just had to cut it out. There's, there was no way to fit it into, to fit with the 30 minute kind of time frame, right. And that was some editorial decisions that we had to make. Yeah. And, and to give, and to, and to give a little bit of insight after the first episode dropped, the response was so crazy that I went back and went, I'm re-editing the episode two. Wow. So episode two, which was dropping like a few days later, yeah. I went, no, I'm going back and we're shaving five, 10 minutes of the, I think we end up shaving, I shaved, shaved on maybe seven minutes, six and a yeah, half minutes. Seven, seven, seven minutes or right. so. Wow. So I was like, no, 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 this has got to be perfect now. This is yeah. crazy. So I went back and did that and then boom, put it out, got it mixed and mastered everything. Six or seven minutes of audio was a lot, man. That's a lot. <laughs> so, I, you know, it was sitting in Mullen going, okay, this might have to be for the deluxe version. This might have to be for the director's cut. This might have to be, you know what we should do, Chris, is we should just do this. We should do a, a, a Chris Mitchell cut and a Summit Sharma cut and just have like two <laughs> different cuts, right? But, but that's and, what we did for the trailer. For anyone who wants to know, people ask why were there two versions yeah. of the trailer, side <laughs> A and side B, is because Summit and I both, we had different ideas on the music at first. So we were like, listen, let's just do it like a vinyl. Like Biggie, Juicy's the A side, unbelievable is the B side. So the A side, you can see it's a lot more modern, yeah. um, cleaner production, and the B side was a, a, a bit more gritty. So Brilliant. you can just see, our, our, I think you can see in here our love for music and just how we apply the tenants in this, in from that world in, into this world. And like Summit said with the editing and cutting it down, I think one of the biggest things we've learned is you've got to be ruthless with the editing. Yeah. There's some stuff, like not to boast and brag, but there's some stuff they told us. Yeah. Like, we were just like, yo, we're going to have to double back and do an interview with you in a bit because we don't want this stuff to be lost to history. Right. But it's, um, I'm just, it was, it was amazing. Like such a, such a fun, fun thing to be a part of. And I'm just honored and humbled to, to know that, you know, Summit and I were a part of it. Doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't go. It's my crazy. Like I, I, sp- I, you know, after the project and during the project, I'd, I'd call Maria Davis and we just talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I get more insight into things and other people who are part of the project that we didn't get to speak to. Like, it's mad the what that sparked. What yeah. this project sparked is incredible. And I don't think either of one of us thought it would have the the adulation that it has had. That's why I did, you know, that's why I went back and I said, I'm doing episode two again. I'm doing yeah. that again. Cause I was like, nah, it can't be this. And mm. that's a credit to 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 everyone who shared it, to credit to all the the contributors, everyone who shared it from from dot adams that you mentioned and everyone else because we should we share the success with them this isn't just us it's it's with them too because if it wasn't for the people that took part 
this wouldn't be a success. Right. It would just be two guys talking about it, which would be great. We shared the success with all of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to use a, a little bit of a, a crude reference in regards to what happened after episode, but it's like, so instead of using a drug reference, I'm going to use like a, like a food reference. So, you know, you're at a bakery. Yeah. And so you make a pie or a cake. And the first time that it comes out that, you know, that person brings that pie and that cake and they give it to five or six of their family members. Those people rave about it to four or five of their friends. They all come rushing in to be able to go get us this pie and cake. And that might've been, you know, okay, the product was good, you know, but I know that I think that I could perfect it a little bit more. Like I can take the icing and maybe perfect the icing a little bit more. So then you have people come rushing through the door and rushing through the door and rushing through the door for this pie and for this cake. And it's almost like, you know, damn, the product, the product blew up overnight. And I know that if I can put this out, if I can perfect this a little bit longer, I really have something. So it's almost like you guys had, that's almost like what happened. Like the, the word got out and you were like, Oh shit. (laughs) Episode two was was episode two was definitely, I got to go work on this because now the word is out. You know, the word is definitely out. It was literally like that. I remember when we put out episode like trailer and episode one, and I'm looking at the responses online. And I remember saying to somebody, I've never been a part of something like this. Mm, Like, you know, I'm an MC, whatever. I have my little cult following, you know, it's cool. I love them. But just to see the trajectory and yeah. the numbers, I like I've never seen something mm-hmm. like this. And we thought it would be good. We were confident in our product. You know, no drug reference. We were we were confident in our cake and the icing. Yeah. There you go. Um, but the public, like people like yourselves and you know, the, the contributors really, really championed it. I think I'm gonna use the word they championed mm, that. Good. Awesome. And made us and they they legitimized us in in this space, in this particular type of production. Hey, man, you guys had some heavy hitters on there, man. Um, I hadn't heard anything from Maria Green, man, in, in the years since then. And I'd heard about Mad Wednesdays, reading about it, and also seeing videos about what Mad Wednesdays used to be about. Um, I told you, Submit, before we came on about Ski and my admiration for him. My admiration for Clark Kent um, goes way, way beyond just being a, a, a fellow uh, MC. And then a, from a producer standpoint, there's so many things I respect about him. But when you get those folks on to talk about the making of the album itself, it sort of, like you said, legitimizes what it is that you're producing because you have the people who were there, you know, on in the battle right there creating everything. So uh, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, so, you know, it's funny that we 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 bring this up. You know, you guys just finished a Reasonable Doubt in series and you're going to be jumping right back in with another series coming up later on this year. You have a series coming up about the blueprint following the Jay-Z motif. Blueprint is turning 20 years this year on, ironically enough, on 9-11. I remember being in undergrad and going actually to go get Blueprint when it came out on 9-11 and then 9-11 happened. Um, But it's turning 20 this year. Another incredible Jay-Z album. Another one of his classics, as many of us would uh, would attest to. So what can fans expect from this recording in relation to what you all did with reasonable doubt? Are we getting the same bag or is it going to be a little bit different? Chris, you want to tell us first or I think it's going to be, it's going to be different. Um, Brooklyn's finest, the making of reasonable doubt respectfully is our reasonable doubt. It's a one of one. Mm, yeah. Um, in order to make reasonable doubt again, you would need the same people. Yeah and the same kind of environment and circumstances. So definitely expect something different. We're still focused on quality, still focused on telling the story, 
but the blueprint is a totally different album Mm -hmm. it was created differently different place in time from the studio to where we were in the world at that time so you can expect that to just be reflected in in this series but focus on storytelling quality from the production to the way it's the way it's written that's just that's a breaking atoms hallmark you know, yeah. no compromise on quality and storytelling, mm. but it, it will definitely, it will definitely be a bit different. And we've done it now, so I'd like to think this is our sophomore album. This mm. is our volume one. This is our supreme clientele. So there's going to be things that we're going to be better at. It's going to be more refined, a leaner package. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to unleashing it on the world very soon. Awesome, very cool. The the trailer that you guys put out for that <laughs> that that was at the end of Reasonable Doubt. I was just like, oh boy. Here we go. As, uh, as the, in the words of DJ Khaled, another one. I was like, you know, okay. You know what's funny? <laughs> the day that episode, the day that episode five came out, I was in my kitchen where I'm at right now. Me and Summit was talking, mm-hmm. and we decided because you know that that was two months of solid work. I was mash up. Like you know, I'm married. We're both married, so you know, we thought, okay, series is done. We now need to go and find our wives and you know <laughs> reconnect and um, make sure the house is still ticking. Nice and. We said, all right, we're going to do Blueprint. We're going to take two and a half weeks off, chill, whatever. Summit messages me and just said, um, no, young guru wants to talk tonight. Like, okay, oh, great. Cool. So the day we finished episode five, we're like, yeah, we're going to take two weeks off. We started the Blueprint eight hours later. Wow. That same day. Unbelievable. I mean, guru, guru's my, Guru's a dear friend of mine. Yeah. That's right. Um, I've known guru, yeah, I've known Guru for 2009. Wow. I like to say I always get the I always get I think I, was, I think it's round about then. Yeah, mm. I met him at Eight, South nine. by Southwest. I introduced wow. him to my I, I I introduced myself to him. Said, "Hey, I'm Summit. I'm I'm Hip Hop Chronicle. Let's do an interview," and that blossomed into a really good friendship. And uh, I wanted to get Guru on for Breaking Atoms, like a just a regular podcast. And he just hit me, and um, I think it was we had just released an episode, and he just he just hit me and just said, "So when we're we doing this?" I was like. Uh, we could do it in like a week or so. I was like, I said, I've got a better idea. I need, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna need you to do a blueprint. And he's like, okay, bet we, we can do it now if you want. I was like, oh, give man. me a couple hours. So I cut Chris, are you ready? Like, we could do this. And we mm. just did it off of mine. We spoke to guys, and you know, Guru, I I'd see every year, but I haven't seen him because of the pandemic. So we end up speaking to him for like three hours. Just a good three hours, yeah. and we we got all that story. What you hear in the traders, what we got through through that conversation, and um, he blessed us, man. We, yeah, we were supposed to take a break, but you know what I've realized in Hip Hop Chronicle and, and Chris's MC will always know there are no days off, man. We yeah. as creatives, we never take time off. We'd mm-hmm. like to, yeah, but we're always working because we're always striving to be better uh, every day, and so we're always trying to go like, what can we do next? So, Guru blessed us. He really blessed us with some wow. real good information and, and he's helping us to open up the doors to, to get more people. And like Chris said, we're really ex- ex- excited about Blueprint. I know the expectation will be, it will be, has to be like reasonable doubt, but it's not yeah. very different. It has to be very different. We can't just recreate. It will be like Jay said, one of my old shit, buy my old albums. What my, you want our old podcast? B- listen to our old podcast. There you go. Right? Right. I'll say, don't, don't, <laughs> don't expect this is new. This is different. And everything will always be new. It'll always be who we are. But we're always looking at how we can, how, and I keep saying this a lot in this interview, is how we can elevate, how yeah. can we move things forward? Mm-hmm. You know, new techniques, how do we do that? How do we introduce new people in different ways? And, and also, how do we introduce people that we re- love and respect from the culture? And how do we let them win with us as well? There you go, man. That, there it is. And, and Guru, 
who spent time at Howard here in D.C. and uh, and a place that I know that he trained at was Omega Recording School in Rockville that he uh, got his, uh, you know, his chops from. So that's a person that you definitely want to talk to when it comes to stuff like Blueprint. He's been working with Jay for, you know, quite a long time. So I'm definitely looking forward to the Blueprint series to hear some more gems, man, because the, the gems from the Reasonable Doubt series are what delighted me the most. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing the gems from this Blueprint series. Um, I got a lot of Jay super fans on my timeline and they're my friends. So they're going to they love the Reasonable Doubt and they're definitely going to love the Blueprint series. So, man, uh, just looking as well outside of that, just some of the artists that you all have interviewed within the last year. I mean, there was, of course, you guys had one with Pain in the Ass who was a part of the Reasonable Doubt series. You all did an interview with Shaheen, Fourth Disciple, Evidence. Uh, I see another one with Big Pooh, um, Shea and Noir, um, OC, all these different other artists that you've interviewed. Um, just to give us a little bit of preview of what you all have with Breaking Adams, aside from the blueprint, um, what can we expect? Any other special projects coming up or artist interviews that are coming up that you want us to stay tuned for? There's so much. The thing, the thing is, Brian, right? I'd love to take everything. I'll take it off my. <laughs> the thing is, as I've I, and Chris, feel free to to correct me if I'm wrong. For me, I always move in silence. Mm. I like to move in silence. Okay, right? Because one thing I've always learned, and and this everything I've learned comes from blogging, right? Yeah, I would just pop up in New York. I mm. won't tell people I'm just pop up. Yeah, I'm at I'm at your office door now. Let's do this, right? <laughs> and I, what okay. I realize is sometimes with us, it's about let's let's do it. We can talk all day about what we're going to do. Mm. Let's just do it. Got and it. let the product speak for itself. Let the, the, the content speak for itself. So it. there is a lot. And and there's more series. There's there's more projects that we're working on and, and different ideas um, because we're both very creative people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, and Chris, you can feel free. Uh, I like Me personally, I like to move in science. That's why I don't, I don't talk too much on Twitter and I don't talk too much on Instagram. I just go, right, what are we doing? Let's do this and let's move. Um, because a lot, of, it's no shots at all. Cause everyone energizes and, 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 and pumps themselves up in different ways. But a lot of people use that as a way to kind of get G themselves up and that's fine. But for me personally, it's like, we're going to do this. Does it make sense? Let's, let's, let's have the committee come. Let's have the quorum. Let's talk about this. Does it make sense? We're doing it and just go and go ahead. Cause you know, not a lot of people knew about reasonable doubt until like very, very late on that, you know, who knew about the Reasonable Doubt project? Maybe a handful of people. We could probably count on our finger. Mm-hmm. But we just popped up and boom, done. So that's how I always like to move. Mm. Okay. So the word for those who want to stay tuned is stay tuned. That's how you find yeah, out. Pretty much. Pretty Sorry, find, I, yeah. I could have said that, but I, you, know, you know me, right? <laughs> no, it's all good. But that's the, the explanation is perfect, you know? And um, that is, uh, that's how you keep people hooked. Because when you keep them uh, not knowing what the next thing is coming out, they know that, bam, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. <laughs> that's yeah, a word, word to sugar free yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> what, I will, what i will say is at the end of blueprint you'll know what the next one is nice okay i'm st- I'm, I'm staying tuned so make sure y'all are doing the same so last question and then before we'll get into you guys really just getting your platforms out there again so this is the vault classic music reviews on the guest lounge we do classic albums and we start from 20 years on out we do 20 25 and 30 years This year, we're doing albums that were released in 91, 96, and 2001. Um, The previous year, we did 95, uh, 2000, and 90. So give us, each of you, and Chris and Summit, your definition of a classic album, including the characteristics you think one needs to have, 
And then follow that up with give me a personal favorite hip hop album that you think is a classic that others probably may not. Okay. This is, this is a good question. Um, it's a very good question. Really good question. I think a classic album needs to have a core idea. And what I mean by a core idea, like a theme, whether it's in terms of the, the lyrics, the storytelling. First of all, it's got to have a story from top to bottom. You've got to take the listeners on a journey. I'm going to share something that Clark Kent said. It's got to be a complete thought. You know, when you look at albums like America's Most Wanted, Doggy Style, you know, the the the, 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 can, the canonical classics, the required mm. listening. You know, you go university, you've got a, a, book, a, a list of books. This is what you need to read if you're going to be official. Hip-hop mm. is the same. This is what you need to hear. Yeah. Right? So those albums, Clark can argue they're all the same album because you can mix and match the songs. They all take you from a complete, they're a complete thought. Mm-hmm. If you take something away, it's different. So I feel that's what a classic album needs. Obviously, it needs to be impactful and influential. Mm. So, you know, impactful, um, Public Enemy takes a nation of millions. Like, there's nowhere in in the world you'll go where people don't know that album. Influence, you know, what's come after it? You know, what albums has it inspired afterwards? And I want to make a point and say that, you know, some albums are impactful and influential in their own ways. Mm. So I mentioned Public Enemy. That's a a, a genre-defining classic. Yes. Right, but I would argue something like Inner City Griots by Freestyle Fellowship or Below the Heavens by Blue and Exile. Mm. Whilst it may not have that kind of worldwide impact, they're very influential. I, I'll yep. say this: I don't oh, think you heavens. get Kendrick Lamar without a Blue. Mm. So you know, you know, you need to look at it that way. And I also think time. Sometimes you need time. Yeah. You know, a classic album needs time to resonate, to grow. You know, to find its place in the world. You know, someone like OC, who's one of my favorites. You know, Jules just mm. continues to grow. Yes. It's placed in the world. Yep. It just, it just continues to grow and it just continues to 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 get better. And I think um, that's what a classic album. You know, I think those are the ing- those are the ingredients for a, a classic album. There's more. Yeah. But those there's are, more. Those, yeah. There's there's quote the walls because that links to impact. There's the production sequencing. All, you know, there's absolutely sequencing. Um, not necessarily hit songs, but songs that you know that stand out. They have to be like little like if we look at th- if we take a, a piece out of away from rap and just look at Thriller. Thriller banged the day it came out. Yeah. Right? It, it, Absolutely. It yeah, but American okay. Gangster will grow on you. Right? Mm, yeah. For yeah, people bro. like us, like Chris mentioned Blow the Heavens. I knew, well, it's to Blow the Heavens. I was like, this yeah. is classic. I you knew. just feel yeah. it. It's a feeling. Yeah. And and there's a, there's another bit about, it's a there's a personal thing about this as well. So how, you, how it makes you feel. Right? Because music is so subjective. Top five, all these things can be interchangeable, right? So there's a, there's a piece around how it makes you feel as the listener. And, and it resonates with you. And it takes you on, like Chris said, in that journey. But there's a bit around what, how it makes you feel. Because my, my classes might be different to Chris's or might be similar to uh, and, and different to someone else's. But Chris has kind of touched upon the, the key ones. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's bits around se- sequencing plays a massive part. Yeah. Like, I you think know, go ahead. Sorry to cut you. I was going to say, look, if you look, if you look in recent times, look at Damn with uh, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. He did the version where he did the, the real sequel, the, his, the album version that came out and then mm-hmm. he flipped it. Mm-hmm. And I think some, I think just thinking about it now, some of that was actually purposeful to go, I could just flip, I could just flip the script mm-hmm. and it would still sound as dope as it was mm-hmm. to play that Clark Kent theme of it's a complete thought. You right. can just flip the whole album and it still sounds dope. So let's so. play the ninth wonder track first and go all the way through. Yeah, That's what makes a classic album. Yeah. Good right. Point. Oh, that's what makes a classic point. album for me. For me, and that doesn't need to be someone who's doesn't need to be a two pack. It doesn't need to be the Nas. Doesn't need to be that. Yeah. It could be Cellar Dwellers, right? 
Yeah. It could be Exhibit, mm-hmm. right? Restless is a great album. Mm. Great album. Mm-hmm. Fantastic album. Yeah. Doesn't have to be your your the 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 ones that you know. Doesn't have to be the the superstar footballers that you know. I always look at footballers. It not have to be Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. You know, it it could be a show a Sergio Bush gets, for example. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think I want to add as well, you know, there are albums that you may particularly love as a person that's really important to your journey and who you are, but that doesn't make it a classic. Um, you know, and that's okay. Everything doesn't need to be a classic. Like Focus Daily by Defari. I don't mm. know if people would see it as a classic, and I'll, I'll go on to another album in a bit, but I love the album. Mm. It means so much to me. Like, bury me with my copy. It's a similar thing with Tracy Lee and mm. Many Faces. And I made sure I told him that I said, this album to me? Yeah. Like, you can't tell Christopher Mitchell's story without mentioning in, in this album. So, yeah, classic albums are, are, are definitely subjective. Um, I, but there are, also, there are the albums, the culture we celebrate, and those go without mentioning. And I also think that that word gets banded around so much. And I'm, I'm trying to think about why it does. And I think it's about, I think it's really about trying to find a kinship with other people, a community of other people. They mm. use that word to go, using it's classic too, me too. Whereas we would just go, this is dope, man. This is so fire. No, yeah. Now, now, now it's like, it's classic. Yes, we're friends now. We're fr- It's like this new generation's way of connecting with each other. Yeah. And in some ways, it, it has a toxic effect because it becomes very tribal because our whole society mm. has become very tribal. However, I feel like for now, why does that, why does it get banded around? One, people achieve want to achieve that status because of the things like the source had a massive impact on hip hop. Yeah. So having that five mic and being a classic yeah. became part of the lexicon of who we of of hip hop. So that becomes something that people want to aspire to. It's like the same reason why everyone puts CEO in the uh, in their bio when they're not a CEO because they want to aspire to that. Right. And so the word classic becomes this thing where it's like this, like back in the day, Nine Lives, AZ Nine Lives was like a is like a cult classic, mm-hmm. and it was like a code word. You spoke to heads and you're like, you like Nine Lives? Oh, I do too. But when we want to say it was classic, we just go, we like that. Now nowadays, kids are saying classic in order to find that kinship with that one another and that community with one another. Yeah. Indeed. Sometimes it's kind of hard just to get on the same page with people to recognize that an album is just dope, you know, without even necessarily classifying it underneath that rating system where it's, Mm -hmm. oh, I think it's three and a half. Oh, I think it's four. Oh, I think it's Mm -hmm. five. Oh, I think it's nine out of ten. You know, so sometimes and that that go kind of goes against just what I, I do. But I think my show was more so about personal feeling. I mean, because to me, like my, one of my personal classics for me is reflection, eternal train of thought with quality and high tech, you know, and, and that, that to me, while is may not be on a, uh, uh, if you're taking a public poll and opinion of people in regards to where an album stands at, um, they have, some people will put a lot of albums in front of that. But for me personally, as you said, Chris, when um, Defari's album did for you, uh, Tracy Lee albums did for you, that really at a crucial point in time in my life when I, it helped me to get through some times. Um, it really did. And, and I mean, the quality of the album aside, it's just, it is, is, is magnificent to me with, with high tech production and then qualities I'm seeing, but then also the guest spots that happened on there as well with De La Soul and Cool G Rap and Rod Digger and Exhibit, you know, I could keep going, going and going. So uh, some albums mean more to other people than others. And while some may not classify them as classics, um, but it really does, as you said, a lot of it is subjective when it comes to, whether you think an MC is better versus another one or why one album means more to you versus another one. Um, it is really all subjective, but I, I just always like to get the opinion from other hip hop heads as far as what makes a classic to you. And then what's something that you treasure may so more so than other people may not necessarily see as a gem. So um, definitely appreciate y'all for that, man. But 
you know, hey, we're at the end of this here. Um, I want to thank you all again for for joining us. And before we go, we want to make sure that you get um, your links out there, website, social media links, YouTube channels, whatever you want to promote. Uh, go ahead and put them out there so that the folks who are watching and listening can go ahead and check y'all out and uh, Breaking Adams or anything else that you want to put out there, man. Go ahead and throw your links out and your social media handles. Okay, so um, I'm Chris Mitchell, but my MC name is Kinetic. You, all my handles, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, is I am Kinetic. That's K-I-N-E-T-I-K. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's where you can find me. And um, yeah, reach out. I'm friendly and approachable, supposedly. <laughs> Very cool, man. Very cool. Summit? Yeah, so Break the Atoms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for, for the podcast. Uh, my personal handle is at Hip Hop Chronicle. Find me everywhere at Hip Hop Chronicle. That's where you can find me. There you go. Submit Sharma and Chris Mitchell of Breaking Adams Podcast. I'm telling y'all, man, go check it out if you haven't checked it out. You should be following, subscribing, anything that you talk about, man. These fellas put in the work. And then you put in the work as a creative, especially for my creatives out there that are following the show. You'll definitely appreciate the quality and level of work that goes into this because we all know the amount of work we all put into it. These fellas out here do um, layman's work and then they turn out a wonderful, wonderful product. The Reasonable Doubt series is great, but their regular artist interviews uh, that you hear, the names you heard earlier, make sure y'all go check it out, man. Break the Adams podcast. Make sure you're following them, checking out the website, checking out the social media and then follow them individually. Chris and Submit, thanks you all once again, and um, I'll be on the lookout for everything else, man. Y'all have a great one, and uh, we'll stay tuned. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. And there you have it. A big shout-out once again to Submit and Chris of the Breaking Adams podcast for coming in and shedding a little light, not just about the Reasonable Doubt series, but also about all the things that they've had going on with their podcast and also reflecting a little bit of light on their journey as hip-hop fans as well. Definitely appreciate them for coming through. Again, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, make sure you go check them out at Break the Adams. And of course, make sure you're subscribing to that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. They have great, great content, especially go through their back catalog. Check out the Brooklyn's Finest series. And of course, they got the Blueprint series coming out too. Make sure y'all go check that out in all of their artist interviews. Really, really dope content. And I thank them once again for taking the time to letting us interview them. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the bio in any one of our social media pages, you'll see the link tree. There you'll get to all of our social media sources and, of course, all of our streaming platforms. Again, you can get to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic and on Facebook and YouTube by searching the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Go ahead and like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us here on social media. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support, and if you have a friend, tell a friend, and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we'd like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, Motivate and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.